Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Jason Kenney blames Justin Trudeau for Encana's decision to leave Canada. Now is an exciting time for our company. We are planning to move our domicile to the United States. This will expose our stock to larger investment pools, making us even more competitive with our peers. Peter McKay says his criticism of the Conservatives' election campaign was not an attack on Andrew Scheer's leadership. People did not want to talk about women's reproductive rights. They didn't want to talk about revisiting the issue of same-sex marriage. And yet that was thrust onto the agenda uh, and hung around Andrew Scheer's neck like a, a stinking albatross. And who is likely to change jobs in the new federal cabinet? The Prime Minister doesn't have too many options. He wants to stick in the current um, normal framework of how uh, things are done when you don't have representation in one province or another. It's Friday, November 1st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. So Jason Kenney, the Premier of Alberta, is blaming Justin Trudeau for the decision by Encana to move to the United States, change its name. Uh, There are people saying there will be more of this to come. And uh, this decision by a Canadian business is now part of the uh, the political discussion in this country over energy and the debate between the provinces and the re-elected Liberal government. Uh, yes, it's not surprising that um, Jason Kenney would be trying to blame uh, Justin Trudeau for this, this decision. Um, the Encana CEO, though, uh, yesterday, Doug Settles, made it very clear that um, the decision that he was taking had absolutely nothing to do with the federal election um, and more to do with um, assessing the capital trends in the marketplace. Uh, the company has been buying up um, American companies and American resource um, exploration companies, and uh, they're looking to uh, be in the U.S. market where they have access to um, more capital um, or where they think they can have access to more capital. Um it follows, I think, it fair to say, a trend uh, about Mr. Kenny blaming the Liberal government um, for a series of moves, um, Bill C-69, Bill 48, um, that is viewed as being anti-industry. So I think that's basically where um, Mr. Kenny's criticisms uh, lie. He has written uh, to the Liberal government uh, with a list of demands. Um, a growing list of demands, uh, including the overall of Bill 69, a guarantee that Trans Mountain gets built. Um, not exactly clear how the Liberal government would guarantee that um, Trans Mountain gets built, although they say that that is in their interest. Um, the decision right now is uh, in the courts, as you right. know. Yeah. Um, Mr. Kenny has also uh, asked for the adoption of an energy corridor. This was um, Andrew Shears. Um, uh, suggestion during the election campaign. He has also asked for a premier's meeting, and he has asked the prime minister to replace Catherine McKenna in cabinet. Um, she's currently at the environment minister, so he would like to see her moved. Um, Jason Kenney is not the only premier with a list of demands of the Liberal government. Scott Moe has also uh, sent a second letter to the Liberal government um, outlining things that he would like to see. So just quickly, what's in Scott Moe's letter? Uh, is How much is there that's different from what Jason Kenney is requesting? 
Um, well, he also talks about the equalization formula, which is something that um, the Alberta Premier had also requested. They want to take um, non-renewable resources out of the formula. Interesting that they both premiers are making these demands after the election, where they could have made them during the election, but might have caused um, some problems for Andrew Shearer in Quebec there. The uh, other ask that is in Scott Moe's letter is a, um, a pause on the carbon tax that could be applied in Saskatchewan because the Saskatchewan government and the federal government have not reached uh, a decision on, or they have not agreed to the Saskatchewan plan, I should say. Um, so Scott Moe is asking for a one-year pause on the federal carbon tax backstop. I don't think that is going to happen, but that is in this second letter that Mr. Moe has uh, Pence's Liberal government also asking for a sit-down meeting. Okay. Now, Alberta NDP MP Heather McPherson, who's the only uh, uh, person elected to the House of Commons from Alberta who's not a Conservative, uh, has said in an interview that she'd be willing to join the federal cabinet uh, to represent Alberta, although she's not willing to cross the floor, which would be a very unusual situation in Canada. Um, but let's talk about that and what other options Justin Trudeau is working on as he assembles his cabinet, uh, which will be announced in less than three weeks now. Yeah, it's um, a very interesting interview she gave to CBC. It's unclear to me uh, from reading the story online whether or not uh, there's been any discussions whatsoever. It seems like there hasn't been. The, the Premier's office has not reached out to see whether or not Ms. McPherson would be interested um, in sitting at the cabinet table. But in this interview, she says that um, she is willing to help the Liberal government um, even consider sitting at the cabinet table. But she says to the journalist, I have no interest in crossing the floor. Um as you mentioned, it would be incredibly odd for somebody to sit in cabinet but be a member of another political party, especially when you think think that one would be bound by cabinet solidarity. Um, so that is interesting. The other interesting thing in her interview is that she says that she is not opposed to the Trans Mountain Pipeline, uh, a position that is at odds with the rest of her uh, NDP caucus and definitely aligns her much more closely um, with liberal liberal MPs and especially the liberal cabinet members. So um, we'll see what happens. Um, the Prime Minister doesn't have, I mean, we've talked about this before, but the Prime Minister doesn't have too, too many options if he wants to stick in the current um, normal framework of how uh, things are done when you don't have representation in one province or another. Um, he could, as his father did in 1980, when he did not uh, elect anybody in British Columbia, Alberta, or Saskatchewan, appoint somebody from the Senate. There's a Saskatchewan vacancy at the moment, so Justin Trudeau could bypass the arm's length appointment process that he created himself and uh, just appoint somebody that he would like to sit uh, that he would like to have sit in his cabinet from Saskatchewan. Um, or he could pick somebody that's already in the Senate, as his father did. Uh, there are a number of different options, different people from Alberta and Saskatchewan who sit in either as independents or who sit as part of the 
um, kind of the government's working caucus. Uh, Grant Mitchell in Alberta, for example, serves as basically a, a government whip function um, in the Senate. He counts to make sure that liberals can count their legislation, um, which is a you know bracket. This is a position that will be increasingly important in a minority government where uh, you need to make sure that the Senate is on side to pass your legislation. And the Senate might be a little bit more emboldened. But anyways, Grant Mitchell has been in cabinet. Um, and Lillian Dick, who sits as a liberal, probably could be... Uh, brought into the cabinet. But then we've also talked about um, other potential options. Uh, you know, there could be an advisory council. People could sit on cabinet committees. We would not necessarily need to have uh, somebody from Alberta or Saskatchewan sit around the decision-making right. cabinet and be part of this cabinet solidarity. Uh, All right. Let's talk about Peter McKay and the aftermath of his comments on Wednesday that uh, we talked about yesterday on the podcast that uh, the Conservatives missed an open net on a breakaway. Uh, he walked back a little bit from those comments yesterday saying they weren't an attack on Andrew Scheer, that he supports Andrew Scheer. Uh, but obviously that touched off a lot of discussion yesterday and and it uh, it escalated the debate over whether Andrew Scheer can and will stay on as leader of the Conservative Party. Mr. McKay is uh, very well known with how to make news and how not to make news. So it, um, it's hard to believe that he would think that his comments in a public forum uh, where reporters were present um, would not uh, gather headlines in this country. He could have said in this clarifying tweet that he sent at midnight um, yesterday, not this morning, but um, Thursday morning, that, you know, I do not have an interest in this job and I support Andrew Scheer completely and I was just talking about how best to reflect on what had just happened in the election campaign. But he did not tweet that. He just tweeted that he supports Andrew Scheer and that he's not been organizing. Um, so, of course, uh, rumors keep being <laughs> keep being circulated that he is an interest that he is interested in the job. Um, caucus members themselves actually are openly talking about Andrew Shear being unable to stay. Not that they plan. I have not heard this. That they plan on um, uh, kicking kicking him out at next week's caucus meeting. As you know, uh, the all the caucuses will have to decide whether to abide by the Reform Act, the piece of legislation that Michael Chung um, had spearheaded in the House of Commons, where uh, caucus gives itself the ability to boot the leader. Basically, um, if you reach a certain threshold, there can be a leadership vote within a caucus, and then you can uh, replace your leader. Right. I don't, see, I don't see that happening. But now you hear things like conservative sources saying that there is a need for complete revamp around Andrew that his chief of staff, Marc-André Leclerc, should be replaced. People talking about, hey, what about Bernard Lord? You know, actually throwing out names of the people that they'd like to see replaced. Um, and it's only been week one. So um, I, I expect those suggestions and discussions uh, to keep going as we head towards April. All right, Althea, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Okay, you too, thanks. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief. I think it's important in Quebec. We are a nation. We are a distinct society. We have our values. We have our charter that people know about our charter rights. Here's what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are writing about today. In the Montreal Gazette, Fariha Nakvi Mohammed argues much is wrong with the values test for new arrivals in Quebec. 
Nakvi Mohammed writes, There is an inherent presumption that immigrants are a problem rather than part of the solution. It suggests others are to be tested because they are not to be trusted and adds fuel to the real problems of hate and discrimination. Why not focus on educating all Quebecers, not only immigrants, about racism, sexism, and equality? This would go a long way to addressing some of the xenophobia that exists and steering Quebec in a more progressive direction. In McLean's, Max Fawcett argues, holding a constitutional referendum to end equalization wouldn't actually benefit Alberta. Fawcett writes, Jason Kenney's threat to hold a referendum on removing equalization is a head-scratcher. There is no conceivable way in which the equalization program could be changed to directly benefit Alberta's treasury. If Albertans want to see their federal tax dollars stop sharing the same treasury with ones that fund Quebec's equalization payments, they have two options, help Quebecers earn more money or start earning way less themselves. In the National Post, Kelly McParland asks, When did our elections turn into contests for who is least worst? McParland writes, Each new election brings a renewed push for strategic voting by parties that clearly lack enough confidence in themselves to expect they might be able to win on their own attributes. The danger of strategic voting is that it encourages parties to stay well clear of any policy or pronouncement that might in any way hand their opponents a target to attack. Their hopes depend more on avoiding offense than on making their case to Canadians. And in the Globe and Mail, Harvey Schachter argues we need to stop spinning our wheels and fix our electoral system. Schachter writes, There are alternatives Canada could embrace, but we are split over what we want. Some prefer the existing system, some prefer preferential voting, and some prefer proportional representation, with nobody willing to compromise. That's why we're at a federal stalemate and provincial referendums have rejected change. It's time those favoring each alternative system acknowledge their own role in frustrating electoral reform, unite, and move us forward. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, November the 1st. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns on Monday morning. Have a great weekend.